0: Now, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu.
1: Good morning and welcome to the return of The Bobby Curran Show. I am Bobby Curran, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to be back with you. I do want to go over a couple of things real quickly. First of all, I have a ton of people that need to be thanked. I, most of them know who they are. But for all of you who have gotten in touch and uh, sent uh, well wishes and prayers, they have been greatly appreciated. And I have no doubt that that has helped a great deal. Um, we have uh, a number of things I want to get into today. I did want to start off with a bang with a couple of really good guests today. And uh, normally we have one guest an hour, but uh, this week we're most for the most part going to have two. We may, uh, we may later in the week shift to one. But in any case, I want to tell you who's coming up. At 6.17, we're going to have Neil Everett, uh, the former ESPN sportscaster, now former. We're going to talk with him a little bit. And then at 6.36, we're going to have uh, Mark Rolfing. And he was not at the British Open, but I'm sure paid very close attention to it. So we're going to have some, and we're going to have a lot to talk about there because the live golf thing is, frankly, a mess. There's no other way to put that. It is a big mess at this point. Um, Whether there's going to be compensation for players who didn't go. I mean, there's a ton of things on the table. And we'll talk with Mark Ralphing about who the key players are right now. He did mention something when I was talking to him last week about this appearance. And he did say, pay attention to Patrick Cantley. He's going to be a big-time influencer here with what he does. 296. 1420 is the number. I would love to hear from everybody and anybody this morning. If you have something you want to particularly talk about, uh, please go ahead and, uh, and, and light us up. But I just had to say this. It's, it, you know, I feel badly for some guys, and that's one thing about golf. The week prior in the Scottish Open, the hometown boy Scottish golf, the only really Scottish golfer right now that's in contention is a guy named Robert McIntyre. He had that tournament essentially won. I mean, that's really what it appeared to be. So I, I just thought that was really something. And then Rory McElroy becomes the only guy the entire week that birdies 17 and 18 to take it away from MacIntyre I mean, McIntyre was speechless. He couldn't even get a hold of himself. He had, he was celebrating already and had to completely stop that. I, I would say it would have been reasonable for him to think of the possibility of a playoff, but to lose outright when he was down a shot with two holes to with two holes to go and those are brutal holes in Scotland. So that was really I and mean, it's what golf does. I mean that's one of the things that happens in the golfing world. and for Brian Harmon to have won the open at Royal Liverpool is almost unbelievable. The guy only has two career wins. I mean he's a good player. But he's a small guy. He doesn't hit it very far. He's a terrific uh, putter and short game uh, guy. But for him to just wire the field and run away with this thing was almost unbelievable. And I'm looking online. There's a ton of people complaining about the coverage, uh, more than I could have ever thought. So it's, And I guess they, didn't, they especially don't like Zinger for some reason, Paul Azinger. I don't know why. Uh, he doesn't annoy me. I've had guys in the past, there are announcers who annoy me, but none are, were on this telecast. The people just felt there were too many commercials. What they really are complaining about is there wasn't much drama. That's the, that's the long and short of it. T- Tanner, did you catch any of this stuff this weekend or last?
2: Well, I did not personally catch too much of it. I was unfortunately busy with a whole bunch of other stuff going on in my life, but I think when you look at a lot of this stuff, probably the drama would just be like, hey, can Rory finally win one of these things? <laughs> like, well, what's up? Been, been it's been nine it's, years. I mean, hey. Yeah, it's been nine years. I'll, I, will it be a decade until he wins another, like, major, kind of major? Or will it ever happen?
1: I mean, I think it's, re- it's not unreasonable. He's 36. It's not, I mean, listen, that's not old. The guys have won majors older than that, but he just seems to have trouble on Sundays. Bad day to have trouble with.
2: Maybe he just needs to participate in the live tour. Maybe then he'll win something. One of I don't those. I think one that's ever going to happen. Be.
1: He is the most <laughs> stalwart of the no lives of uh, no live guys. So I think we can be safe that that's that. He Tiger Woods. They're not going. Plus, but people don't know is they have a little agreement going on with the uh, with the PGA Tour for videos and other stuff. So they have more pieces uh, to to collect money on than just. What most PGA players depend on, which is to finish, you know, f- to make the cut and then sail from there. I mean, they already are making money, so that those two are, they're sacrosanct. A guy like Cantley, maybe not so much. He's an excellent player, a uh, bit of a strange bird. But hey, listen, if if you play a sport where you spend most of your time by yourself, I um, mean, you're going to get your share of weirdnesses, I think, and of strange behaviors. But in any case, we've got, uh, we're have got we going to talk with Mark Rolfing at the 6.36 hour. So please uh, stay with us for that. I think that should be uh, a lot of fun. And uh, Neil Everett, for those who don't know, and you say, I haven't seen Neil Everett. Well, Neil Everett basically was the beginning. First of all, last uh, about a year ago or so, he had gone part-time, which I don't think ESPN's crazy about. I don't think they feel like they have as much control of you as they would like. So he was working. He was doing a couple of shows a week. And had it was basically out of what he used to do. It was maybe a third to a fourth of that, and so he had a concomitant drop in salary. He was up in Portland doing the pregame and postgame shows, on for the Portland Trailblazers. That's a lifelong uh, thing he wanted to do, so he got to it, which was great. And then, uh, and then he was one of the first ones that they talked to him and let go. And I talked to Neil very shortly afterwards, a couple of days, and he was so chill about it. He was like, look, I had a great career. You know, I'm not. A, I'm a pretty frugal guy, so I've saved my money and I made a good bit. So I'm all good on that. He goes, I'm, you know, I think he had more concerns for what was going to happen to other people, and it did. The axe dropped hard at ESPN Television. And I frankly think a lot of these guys were somewhat overpaid. I mean, I heard this, and I don't know if it was true, but I heard that... Even uh, Jeff Van Gundy, who was part of their key team, along with Mike Breen and Mark Jackson, someone told me he was making five bricks a year. If, that, if he was making $5 million to do that selection of NBA games, my guess is he was a little overpaid. And if you overpay enough people, which apparently ESPN did, then they had to either slash salaries, but these guys were under contract, or let them go altogether. I mean, guys like, uh, I mean, Max Kellerman, guys who had been there a long time, Jalen Rose. I mean, there were a ton of people that were let go. I mean, and it wasn't, ESPN was quick to admit this was not always on the basis of ability. A lot of times it was a salary deal. They just had to claw back some of the salaries that they were spending. They were spending wildly. Uh, Go ahead if you have something you want to chat about uh, this morning. It's 609 I am so thrilled uh, to be back, and I, I'm going to just share a little bit of the journey uh, that I last year about this time noticed. I just wasn't breathing well. I, I I was really having trouble drawing breaths, and I and I was uh, so. I, I there were a couple solutions. Someone said, "Well, maybe you need oxygen." So, you know, maybe for a while you need oxygen because this first we first we knew about this was at the, the UNR game in in Reno where I. You know, I was very short of breath, and they decided to take me out of there and take me directly out of the press box to the hospital. So we knew then that my oxygen, my, what they call your pulse ox, your oxygen saturation, was somewhat low, and I had that. So, and, in fact, in the press box, they had EMTs come in, and then they'd put me on oxygen, and it would go up into the you know, low to mid-90s, which is acceptable. And then as soon as they took the thing off, thinking, oh, he's okay now, it would drop right back down into the low 80s, and that's not good. So in any case, uh, through a period of testing uh, and, and research, I, I found out or decided that the St. Joe's Hospital uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, was probably the best place in the country. There's two really great ones, Temple University Hospital and St. Joe's in Phoenix. And I had some people re- strongly recommend St. Joe's in Phoenix to me. So I flew down there and, uh, and went through the process. It was five days of testing. And uh, they said that well we need you to come back in eight weeks, and test again, and uh, because there's one thing that's not right here, and we get that right, you'll be approved. And I said okay, uh, that sounds good. So I did that, and I went back, and uh, ate. one of the things I had to do was uh, was not drink at all. And uh, I wasn't drinking heavily, but I was staying with a f- former fraternity brother, and he and his wife have happy hour every night. Now no one had ever said look you've got to make sure you don't have a high alcohol level, but in any case. They said, "Come back in eight weeks, because that's the only impediment. You'll be approved if you uh, if you can. Can you do it?" And I said, "I'm the next drinker. As so of now, haven't had a drink since, since August, whatever, of last year. You know, last year. So, I mean, that was fine, and I and I got approved. So, I had they, you know, basically, I was going over things with the hospital psychiatrist, and you know, people wanted to know why I wasn't that enthusiastic. I said. This doesn't sound like much fun, this operation. I mean, they're going to clamshell you open with a saw, pull your ribs apart, take your lungs out, and install uh, new lungs, donor lungs, if they can find the right pair that fit your lung cavity, et cetera. So this all happened, and on November, it's funny, because it started on the 17th and ended on the 18th. So it was a good long surgery. The lungs were a little delayed. There was some logistical issues, getting them to the hospital. In any case, I had the surgery, all's well. So I went from, for anybody who knows, i almost bought it on TMI, but I'll share it with you now. But I, I went from a pulse ox or oxygen saturation of 88% on five liters of oxygen to 100 with no oxygen. I mean, that's over a six-hour surgery. Really quite remarkable. But no one had quite prepared me for the level of uh, pain and anxiety I was going to have, I, I wasn't uh, because I was on another medication they didn't know about till too late. I, I didn't get the epidural that everybody basically gets with this. So, one doctor had said to me, Wow, that's going to be brutal! I can't believe they're not giving you an epidural. I said, Well, apparently they can't. Any, any case, I started the long road to recovery, and I'm going to admit to you, I didn't realize how dependent you I am anyway for. For people around me and uh, my family and my friends and, you know, the community, basically. I I have a job that gives me, you know, great exposure in the community. And that's been a two-way street. It's been fabulous. And uh, and then not having that at all and being alone all but about eight hours every week. Because my wife just, with her other responsibilities, couldn't stay there all the time. We had other issues in the family. So that was... That was uh, nerve-shattering. And after four months, I just told those guys, look, I've got to get back. I have to get back. I will recover more quickly. And already I'm on the way back, way faster than I was coming along there in Phoenix. I did want to just especially thank a couple people in particular, and I'm going to have to do that now. First of all, Dave Heen, the former Campbell Estate trustee and a fellow William and Mary guy, had – contacted me. I got a card from him, he and his wife, at least once and sometimes twice every single week it was remarkably uplifting. Um, also I wanted to thank uh, Pastor Norm Nakanishi from Westside Church who's been the many people know him as a former UH, uh chaplain and, uh, and he and his congregation were relentless he calls them prayer warriors but uh, it was fabulous having Uh, That support, which has made a big difference, which I will go into at a later time. But that was uh, also absolutely terrific. I'm trying to keep my eye on the clock. So I imagine you gave Neil his wake-up call, huh? Okay, all good. So in just a couple of minutes. Shall we take the break now and then come back with Neil? I think we should. Let's do this. I am very happy to say that this is the Bobby Curran Show, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Bobby Curran show on this Monday morning. Uh, I have to admit I there were times I was wondering in in uh, in the hospital in Phoenix or even in the rental place there that uh, if this day would ever happen. Uh, but it's come and uh, so again thanks I can't thank people enough uh, for their uh, unwavering support. Joining us now is my another guy who's going through some changes. My old friend and at one time broadcast partner on HPU basketball, Neil Everett, is joining us. And Neil, how are you, buddy? Good to talk with you. Yeah? He's probably thinking, okay, what's going on over there? Uh, Because I'm thinking it. Okay, hopefully we'll have Neil in a second. He is on the line, but we uh, are having trouble uh, getting him through. Anyway, so hopefully that'll happen sooner than later. Um, for those of you who haven't heard about this, there was this huge bloodletting at ESPN when they just lopped off a ton of their on-or. I understand that the, those um, those people being kind of made redundant, as they say in Scotland, were were back of the house as well, not just the talent, but a lot of people who are recognizable names and figures. Were let go, and apparently ESPN is saying nothing to do with the quality of their work. This had a lot to do with salaries. Hi, Neil. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm great, Bobby. I don't know where we got cut off.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know what happened there exactly. But so these are some you're, you're going through, for all You're going through some changes here, which is interesting because you have been. How long did you spend at ESPN exactly?
0: Twenty-three years.
1: Wow, that's really unbelievable. It, to my mind, you were like one my maybe my favorite of the hosts, of the show hosts. So well, I Jesus, was, I hope so. I hope so. Well, I was a little just, surprised. I, I
0: think I, you know, I'm in the top ten. I'm in the top ten, Bobby.
1: Well, you are in the top ten, no <laughs> question. You're in the top I I might even go a little better than that. I might go top five. So in any case, I know that you had gone part-time because there were other things you wanted to do. I always have had mm-hmm. the impression that ESPN doesn't like independent thinking much. I don't even know if that went over big uh, or how tough a negotiation that was to get the part-time gig because you had wanted to do some things, one of which was a lifelong dream, I guess, to do the pre-game, post-game with the Portland Trailblazers, which was your team growing up, uh, which you did, and uh, which was fabulous. How, were you taken by surprise by these changes, or had you seen them coming far out?
0: No, you know we'd uh, we my wife and I started laying the tracks a couple years ago. You know when you know when they when they when they decide hey we're gonna we're gonna go part time with you. It's like okay, well what's next after part time? No time. Right. Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, you know and and what and just like you said, what a blessing to get hooked up with the Trailblazers, the team that you know I followed with my my dad lived in Portland, late seventies, Bill Walt, Dr. Jack Ramsey, all that and so. Uh, to be able to get on board with the uh, the Trailblazers has been wonderful, and I'm I'm negotiating with them right now to see what we can do this year. Hopefully, uh, do uh, do what we've done, and maybe even a little bit more. But that's that's in the process right now, and uh, feeling good about it. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting times in Portland with old Damian Lillard and all that.
1: Well, that I want to get. We'll get to that in a minute or two, but I just want to keep this on you for a little bit because it's a. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a big change after 23 years. I—I uh, I, was that getting to you a little bit—the—the—the the, the, the schedule and all that.
0: Uh, you know, the schedule was getting to me when I'm uh, saying goodbye to my wife right here. Uh, I just got to give her a kiss. Oh, you guys got that on the radio? There you uh, go. There you go. Yeah, I got—you got to take care of what's most important. You know what? It, it, what was getting to me was after 21 years was the, the five nights a week, the late night and all that. So the, so the, the part time, uh, was as much, as much my idea as them. And, uh, and you know, that was working fine. But then, then, you know, it became like, you know what? I just really wanted, uh, it, my time had come, the time had come to really invest in other things. Uh, the trailblazers being one of them and just, uh, um, you know, kinda of controlling my own narrative and, and getting getting complete control back of what I wanted to do and when I wanted to do it.
1: Well, I think that's fabulous because a lot you got to call your own shot there and a lot of people don't ever get that opportunity. And as you had that planned, Tim, was
0: that, that's all good that's all good, I gotta be honest.
1: and you know, and you made a lot of money and you're you've never been a uh, a spendthrift. So that's all good. So you mentioned <laughs> you're okay that way. No, don't get me. I don't want anyone to get me wrong. You are a generous person. Oh, yeah. but you're not, you know, you're not, you're not a guy. Uh, you're not out buying nine cars and diamond rings and diamond necklaces and all. I, I feel badly for the guys who are, were big spenders and who might've been taken by surprise at ESPN. Cause they're going to find a tough sledding.
0: Yeah. You know, there's uh, it, listen, it's, it's, you got to be smart. You got to surround yourself with smart people to take care of your money. I didn't make a ton of money. I never hit it. I never hit. I never hit it big. I was always like a step behind on uh, on on the pay scale. But I did well enough, and I saved well enough uh, that I should be uh, well enough off that I can I can afford to go down to Murph's and uh, and have a cold one and buy a cold one for you too when when, when I see you again.
1: Oh, oh, if that were only allowed. So anyway but, but uh, yeah, I wanted to yeah, that's great, and i hope uh, do you will you spend more time in Hawaii now?
0: I hope so, yeah, you know uh, uh there's a few things uh, going on in Hawaii that are interesting, and so I'll hopefully be back there to, to 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 do a little work and and have a lot of fun
1: well, that would be fabulous obviously you you're a happily married man. Because not too many people are giving out kisses before 10 o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> that's good. That's a good sign, and uh, good for you. Let Let me also get to this, because you have to go up to Portland. Your Your current base is, is L.A. I'm assuming. Yep. Will that's Will that remain that way? Will Will you transfer that to Portland or somewhere nearabouts?
0: You know, we will we we'll we're, 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 we're well, I think the first thing is, uh, you know, I've got to I've got to see what Portland is is put on the table for this season. You know, the last couple seasons, I did, you know, I did about twenty games for them, and I would fly up, and then I would come back. But I came back because I had the ESPN obligation, right. and I I no longer have that obligation. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm talking with Portland now about hopefully doing more games, and and I I, I guess my best guess would be that means I'm going to. Uh, maybe rent a place in Portland, but I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to sell LA yet. I mean, the, 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 weather's so great. We've got a great little place. I mean, it's just a small little place, but it's, you know, we got four animals and uh, transporting animals is tough. And, um, you know, and my, and my wife, uh, you know, is a, is a therapist and they do a lot of work on zoom, but she has some clients that, that come to, to the house and, uh, we've we've got a nice little lifestyle there. I don't think I don't think we're ready to close shop on that yet, but it, it could be headed that way.
1: All right, let, let me get to this, and we'll switch to sports. I just think that Dame Lillard. I mean, he's I don't know how, what you would you say. He might be. It's it's maybe a, an insult to him to say he's Steph Curry light, but he's there's really no one else in my mind in terms of range. Those are the two. It's Steph Curry and. Dame Lillard, the guys who can move out to thirty-five feet, and it doesn't seem to affect their accuracy. Not only he's been the name and the face of that franchise seemingly forever. What's your thought on that? Is he? Is there any chance that the Portland Trailblazers keep him around?
0: Well, I think you know, you know. Now I'm just speaking as Neil, the the Blazer fan. Uh, you know, Portland's got to do what's best for Portland. Sure. If it if it works out to be best for Damian Lillard too, then that's a bonus. Damian Lillard is, you know, for the the, the folks who, you know, he the the Blazers are are so uh, such a part of the fabric of Portland as a whole, uh, and I don't mean Portland. You know, what you're sure. reading about Portland. Just take the city. You know, the, the Lillard, like he could run for governor right now and probably win. He's that popular. Uh, but you know, he you know he's a, he's asked to be traded and so Portland's going to try and accommodate that but they're not going to do it at the expense of their franchise you know they, so they've got to make the best move and 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 uh, you know I'm not privy to those conversations so I I don't know where that stands I just know what I read and I and and then I have you know opinions on hey Dame you know this is business you know Portland Portland writes the checks to Dame Lillard so you know they they've got to do what's best for Portland, and hopefully it works out for for Lillard as well. And and I don't know where those talks are at, but it, it will certainly be different if he's not in a Blazer uniform, and it'll be celebratory as, if he is.
1: They got a pretty good uh, draft pick to play in the backcourt with him, uh, but I don't know. I was really shocked when they traded made that trade with New Orleans uh, with the other guy. I mean, because that those two seem to work so well together, and then that's. That has gone well for him and in New Orleans, but I don't know if it worked well for the, for the, the trailblazers. What's your thought on that?
0: Well, when they, they, you know, I think they moved CJ McCollum. It just, you know, they, they had Anthony Simons, uh, a young uh, up and coming player. And I think, you know, it had gone a number of years. I believe we would made one Western conference finals. Um, and, and, you know, so you know, every now and then you got to shake it up, and they shook it up. And Simons is a really good player for people who don't know si- who Simons is. And uh, uh, and then Scoot Henderson is who they drafted with the third pick. Who coincidentally or ironically, I can never get those two right. Uh, was my last uh, athlete interview at ESPN. Wow. Uh, yeah. Prior to the draft, and I even talked to, talked to him about going to Portland. And he, I'll tell you what, this kid. He's nineteen. He, I'm, I, halfway through the interview, I looked at him. and Go, you're just nineteen, because the kid, the kid was overflowing with confidence, uh, which is a big part of the game at the NBA level. You better be confident, or otherwise you'll get eaten up. So, um, you know, if it if it ends up being Henderson and Simons, and and, and they got Shade and Sharp, and they got some good young players, and they got oh uh, Jeremy Grant, they signed to a big deal. Um, you know, they've got they've got. Portland's got some pieces, and they're young pieces. But uh, listen, we we all start young, and we all age gracefully, hopefully, yes, and, yeah. and, and maybe and maybe winningly.
1: Well, you have anyway. Let's hope it's <laughs> the same for most others. There, one of the things about Dame Lloyd, though, is, is you mentioned that when you become such a part of the community, where when people you ask a guy in Massachusetts, well, you know, who do you know on the Trailblazers? I guarantee you, the name that comes up is Dame Lloyd. I mean, he is yep. you know that's just how it is, and he's a ter- and he's, he doesn't look like he slowed down much as far as I can tell.
0: Well, you know he he, he he popped in 71, I think, in a game last season. to your point, uh, I think he was asked, uh, you know they always talk about Wilt's record of a hundred, and I think he was asked, who could challenge that and he says, you know I think I think Steph could get ninety, I think I could get ninety. Uh, and I think Booker could maybe get ninety. And those are the three guys that he thought because you got to have range, you got to shoot the three, you got to get to the foul line, uh, and all that uh, to to approach that. I don't know that anybody's going to ever hit a hundred. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he he's the face. He's the face of the franchise. There's no doubt about it. He's one of the NBA's seventy-five best players according to the you know how they ranked him recently. So uh, and he's a. He's just huge in the community, you know. He that's that's the part that people don't see—the uh, things that he does on, on a community basis. You know, representing the Blazers and just—you know—he's never. You know, he's you've never read Damian Lillard and then a negative article. I mean, yeah. the, the, probably him asking to be traded, as some people would say, there's negativity to that. But but you know, he, he's 32 and. And uh, you know he wants a shot at a title, and didn't feel that Portland, uh, uh, you know, that felt that Portland was uh, too young in its uh, roster makeup to challenge, and and wanted and you know wants to go to Miami because Miami has challenged the last couple seasons, and and so that's that's what the the Blazers I think are trying to accommodate, but again not at the expense of. the uh, the roster themselves.
1: Neil, I am flat out of time. Man, that went quick. I, I just want to tell you of an open invitation anytime you're back here to, to come in and, and uh, share your thoughts on whatever's happening, and it's always a shifting landscape. But uh, great to hear your voice, and I'm so glad you're doing well in both your personal life and uh, now again in the next chapter of your professional life.
0: Bobby, love is a long road. I'll see you down it. All right, man.
1: Cool. Neil Everett, uh, former ESPN and now uh, connected with the Portland Shell Blazers. And I think very likely he'll, if I had Neil, Neil Everett or could get him under contract, I'd keep him. I wouldn't be any doubt about that. we got to take a quick timeout. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back on this Monday morning, and I did want to start off with some of my favorite guests uh, who have some impact in the community, and we've got one of those on right now. One of my favorites, Mark Rolfing, who is with, uh, I mean, you Golf Channel or NBC, you can catch him a lot of different places. Uh, and, and Mark Rolfing is one of the most, I, in my opinion, one of the most forthcoming uh, analysts, uh, that you will ever hear do golf. And he's with us now, Mark, how are you?
2: I'm doing great, Bobby. And, uh, not welcome back to us. Welcome back to you, man. If we missed you? Uh, and I am so honored and privileged to be on, uh, this comeback show for you. Well, I'm thrilled to
1: have you. I, I listen, I, if you would asked me, okay, there's, there's 10 guys pick 10, get 15 even who might win the open. This past week, I don't think Brian Harmon would have been on my list.
2: No, he wouldn't have been on mine either, but it shows you what kind of a a golf course that Liverpool is. Um, It's had great winners before. It's had both Tiger and Rory have won open championships there. But if you really consider the way that they had to play the course, Tiger only hit one driver uh, back in 2009 when he won there. Uh, It really just favors a short, straight hitter that can keep the ball out of those pot bunkers. And that's one of the reasons why it's not the most popular amongst the British Open venues. Uh, and what it really, really means is either if you're a long hitter, you have to gear back and play disciplined golf, or you play like Brian Harmon does, which is keep it out of the bunkers. He only hit it in two bunkers all week, and he made every single putt he looked at.
1: And one of them was on the 18th, the 72nd hole, So, which is you know kind of interesting. Well, I think the thing is that people don't realize if they're not following this stuff pretty closely is the guy, he may not be a long hitter, but he is tremendously accurate, great short game, very good putter. I mean, in a lot of ways, those are ingredients to successful Lynx golf.
2: Yeah, it really is. That's what makes Lynx golf so different, uh, Bobby. It's the kind of kind of golf where you play the ball along the ground, not just through the air. Uh, And when you play a game through the air, mostly, which is what we do in America, you have to hit the ball tremendous distances in today's world to be able to compete. Uh, Because Brian Harmon, you know, on most courses, Kapalua being a perfect example, he played in the final group with Dustin Johnson there a few years ago. And I'll never forget the 12th hole, uh, par four. Uh, They were in the final group the last day. And uh, Dustin Johnson had taken the lead, but they both had drivers on this par four. And Brian Harmon had 142 yards for his second shot. And Dustin Johnson had four inches for his second wow. shot. Wow. He almost made a hole in one. Uh, Brian Harmon's not going to beat a Dustin Johnson on a course like that.
1: Right. But he can destroy a guy like Dustin Johnson, who, by the way, didn't play very well and failed to make the cut. So, I mean, it's, it can happen. Uh, If it's the right set of circumstances, and surely Royal Liverpool was one of them.
2: Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, the other set of circumstances is, frankly, not one player that has left the PGA Tour and gone to live golf has gotten any better. Uh, In fact, a lot of them have gotten worse. It's just not a competitive atmosphere on live golf. They're not playing enough tournaments. They're playing 54 holes, shotgun starts. I could go on and on and on. But when you take a look at these guys, uh, even Cameron Smith was a huge disappointment for me. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool should have been a perfect venue for him, as great a putter as he is. He's just not getting any better. Uh, and it's really sad for me because you're never going to really know how good a guy Cameron Smith could have been.
1: Well, what's funny is, I mean, I, I, it's now they've had enough time on the Live Golf Tour to start to think that these things are not fluky they're not one-off things maybe golf was meant to be played 72 holes they play 54 holes uh in like a perennial shotgun start i i just don't know if that's maybe that's not enough for these
2: guys it's not it's it's an exhibition um you know so much of golf is is a physical game and, and a mental game you know for a long period of time and You know, what Brian Harmon did yesterday was show us that he was able to maintain on that final day, and there's a lot of guys that have been in that position and haven't been able to do it. That's the big element that Live Golf eliminates, and that's only one of the reasons why there's not much I like about Live Golf, obviously. Well,
1: let me get to this, because there's still negotiating going on. Um, I've heard this, and you can address whether or not you think this is true that Jay Monaghan has been known to tell people that we just can't afford to get into these wrangles. We just don't have the money to get in the wrangles with the Saudi Investment uh, Fund. And he goes, we're going to get crushed. So this is part of the reason he's claiming that they have come to this agreement, which has left a lot of players really feeling salty about it.
2: Yeah, the players are very unhappy. It's going to be a huge week. I'm actually on my way to Minneapolis later today. I'm going to be working the 3M in Minnesota. It's going to be Jay Monahan's comeback. He's going to come out and see the players and talk to them on the PGA Tour. They are very unhappy. I don't know what he's going to tell them uh, about how this has wholly uh, unfolded. Um, It's just amazing to me that he's been able to get away with a lack of transparency. We still don't even know what was wrong with him uh physically why he had to take this time off and it just seems to me like if you're paying a guy 14 million dollars a year to be the commissioner of a league like this you should be able to know whether physically he's capable of being able to do it or not so he's got a lot of questions he's got to answer um but you're right financially it was a battle that they were not going to win my biggest uh gripe though with the whole thing is why did they have to take the saudi money there are plenty of other uh, ways to raise capital in America uh, besides taking uh, Saudi money uh, and if the PJ Tour is going to head in the direction of raising purses and paying more money out to their players that that's all well and good but I would look for other sources of capital before I sold out basically to the Saudis you
1: know they had a couple of guys Jimmy Dunn I think is one of the guys names and and his partner there that they worked on the negotiations. Are these guys solid guys as far as you
2: know? Yeah, I know Jimmy Dunn well. Uh, I trust Jimmy Dunn. Uh, You've got to remember Jimmy Dunn was not a board member on the PGA Tour even a year ago. Uh, he, he's new to the board, so it's pretty clear to me that he was brought onto that board for the main reason of negotiating this deal. Uh, the big question in my mind is this model that we're talking about basically becomes a for-profit organization for the PGA Tour. PGA Tour is the subsidiary of a wholly owned company that, that um, is a for-profit. And if you think about it, all the other major sports leagues are for-profit now. The NFL, the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, hockey, they all are. And I think the PGA Tour probably has to go in that direction in order to maintain its relevance uh, financially. But that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you can't examine other sources. That's where the PJ Tour has made its mistake. Uh, there's a lot of other ways to raise money than just taking it from the Saudis.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of Americans, especially after the Khashoggi incident, I think a lot of people are thinking, listen, this is these are basically terrorists. I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but that's... That's, the, that's a widely held opinion in the U.S. And to get into bed with these guys just seemed, I don't know, I, th- that's where I think the questions about Jay Monaghan are arising. People are like, did he make this decision in a sound state of mind? Because I, I agree with you, there seems like to be a lot of other ways you could capitalize or, or raise capital for the golf tour, for the PGA Tour.
2: Yeah, if you think about it, Bobby, um, think about the first thing that Phil Mickelson got called on the carpet for that he said, and that was over a year ago where he said about the studies, these are scary blankety blanks. You right. don't want to do business with them. Mickelson said that. Um, I've got a theory, and I don't know, maybe I've been watching too many movies these days, but I have a conspiracy theory going on here that um, – that the saudis basically wanted to accomplish a couple of things i don't know that they necessarily believed this deal would ever go through but they wanted to do a couple of things they wanted to end the litigation even though they started it they wanted to end it because they knew now they were going to have to come forward in the discovery and open up their books to the world which they don't want to do they wanted jay monahan to basically say that the pga tour is out of money which he has done And they wanted to basically have the tour admit that the tour is a monopoly, which Jay Monaghan also said. He said that by doing this, we took one of the competitors off the table. So the three things that that the Saudis wanted they got, I'm not so sure there's a tremendous motivation now for the Saudis to actually see this deal go through uh, because they've now got a seat at the world golf table.
1: Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. Let's hope that we can find a way to get through this. It does seem like, and as far as I can tell, I just watched the interactions, I I don't think what was initially suspected is that players who had gone to live would not be able to play around or coexist in, in even a social way with the guys who had stayed on the PGA Tour. That doesn't appear to have come to fruition.
2: No, you know, you have to remember that the live players sued the PGA Tour players, they, they filed a lawsuit against them. I talked to Steve Stricker about this at great length last fall uh, at a Ryder Cup event that I did with him uh, in Wisconsin a year after he, of course, won the Ryder Cup there. And he, I said, "Do you see a way uh, for everybody to sit down and work this out? And he said, not as long as they're suing us. Uh, that just isn't going to happen. Well, yeah. those lawsuits have now been thrown out. Uh, never to be brought up again, and so maybe there is a way. The question is, is the best way for this to happen, uh, to happen in kind of a dark alley, you know, at midnight where somebody leaves a brown paper bag of cash, you know, yeah. and nobody knows about it? I don't know. that That's what causes the biggest concern to me, that the players are not involved in this discussion.
1: You had mentioned uh, when we were talking – that this is a name, uh, that he's a very good player, obviously. But you had said you think Patrick Cantley will be uh, a person to watch as all this stuff shakes out. Can you tell us why?
2: Yeah, you know, Cantley has always been kind of associated with potentially going to live. It's been an off-and-on conversation for about a year now. Uh, I, I don't know. I wonder when I watch Patrick how motivated he really is to win championships um he doesn't seem to have the same kind of passion that rory mcelroy does let's say uh for the big events and cantley has said on a couple of occasions that you know he's got some other guys that could potentially also go with him to live uh now will that happen i don't know but i do know that cantley is one of the players that's leading a charge for more transparency he he wants to know what's going on and i I don't blame them. There's no way for these guys to make a logical decision. Uh, and now that this lawsuit is thrown out uh, and the Department of Justice has said you cannot put a gag order on, that means that the live tour at this point can still recruit PGA Tour players. Wow.
1: That is, that is really kind of a mess. And I don't know. Do you, do you think it is at the end of the day this will go through?
2: I don't know. I don't see it going through right now. Um, first of all, the only benefit that it would have for the PGA Tour players is for the top-level players. This is not going to impact of the players that are, let's say, between 70th and 200th on the FedEx point list. Those guys were the ones that were initially the most mad because they weren't benefiting from it. Now, if there is a way that they can find to pay these guys uh, and get them money, uh, then, then fine. Maybe it'll make them happy. But the fact is, if the PGA Tour does this, it's going to be money from this new entity And where is this money coming from? It's coming from Saudi Arabia. So basically, they'd be paying them off with Saudi money, and that's going to make a lot of people unhappy.
1: Yes, no doubt. Mark, it's so great to hear your voice and to be able to talk to you on an extended level as we are today. Uh, Good luck in Minnesota, and thanks so much for being part of the first day back.
2: Great, and when the FedEx Cup playoffs start, let's talk some real golf.
1: That sounds great. Thank you, Mark. Mark Rolfing. Uh, who is just one of the best? Absolutely, we got to take a quick time out. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back on this Monday. It's been a huge day for me. Long I've waited it for a long time, and I'm thrilled to have everybody who is um, getting texts uh, through the roof right now from well-wishers and I really appreciate I appreciate all the support while I was in uh, Phoenix flat on my back and uh, feeling very good now about that we're going to have a great show tomorrow we're going to have UH basketball coach Ron Gannat and a player that many people haven't seen yet but he is absolutely terrific Juan Munoz is going to be the shooting guard on this team and he is special Maybe top five all time, I would say, in UH, maybe even higher than that. I want to thank everybody for Tanner Hayworth from all of us at ESPN Honolulu. Until tomorrow, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.